0: Hello and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner, I'm your host, I'm the author of Hardcore Zen, The Other Side of Nothing, Don't Be a Jerk, Sit Down and Shut Up, Letters to a Dead Friend about Zen, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. This podcast is sponsored only by your kind donations, and if you want to donate to keep this podcast going, you can go to the URL hardcorezen.info slash donate, that is hardcorezen.info dot info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main and usually my only ways of making a living. But as I always say when I do my videos, and I always say when I do these podcasts, this podcast is offered for free, so you don't have to donate if you don't want to donate. All right, so we got that out of the way. This is going to be part two of my series about Dogen's essay, Komyo, which means the light or the divine light. I still haven't decided what I'm going to call it. I'm, for the time being, calling this podcast In the Light after the old Led Zeppelin song, because I can't think of anything better. But uh, that's what I'm calling it. And I forgot to say something in the previous episode, the, my first episode about In the Light, about uh, Dogen's comio. so this is the second episode I'm doing, so if you haven't listened to the first episode, uh, go listen to that, then you'll get caught up. But what I forgot to say in the first episode is that I would like to hear from you, because that will help me figure out what I want to say about this essay, because I don't really have an agenda. I don't really have like a a bag full of things I want to say about this essay. Uh, I'm really kind of waiting for people to ask me questions about it. And if you want to ask me a question about it, uh, here's another place you can send the questions to. Uh, Send them by email to BW at hardcorezen.info. So that is BW, Brad Warner, BW at hardcorezen.info info not.com or.net or or whatever hardcorezen.info and if you are a patreon subscriber already you can also send your questions instead you can send them to uh, on the little app on patreon it has a, a kind of messaging thingy you can send them there too so that that's also a good place to send them Okay, so I haven't got really many questions, I got one question and I'll see if I can get to that question, but I've only had one question so far uh, regarding this podcast, so uh, that's all I got. And if you want to send me more, that'd be great. So, in the previous episode of this podcast, I read you my paraphrase of this. I made a paraphrase of Dogen's essay, Komyo, Brightness, or Divine Light, or whatever we want to call it, and I read that to you. And if you want to refresh yourself on that, if you're a Patreon supporter, it's up on my Patreon page. Uh, You can look at it there. And if you want, if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can go to my blog, which is hardcorezen.info, and you can find the paraphrase phrase of the essay Komio there. And if uh, you want to see something like Dogen's original, because uh, I'm assuming most of uh, my listeners aren't uh, readers of classical Japanese, if you want to see it in English, uh, there's a few places you can find it. One of the best places, as far as I am concerned, to find an English translation of Shobogenzo is Shobogenzo.net. And Shobogenzo is spelled just like it sounds. So, it's A-S-H-O-N. B-O-G-E-N-Z-O, Shobogenzo. Shobogenzo.net. And that is a website that, which was created by Michael Lutchford, who was a also a student like me of uh, Gudo Wafu Nishijima. Uh, Roshi, my teacher, and if you go there, you will find a tab on there called Shobogenzo. And if you go on that tab, Shobogenzo, which I'm doing right now as uh, as I'm speaking to you, so I can see it, uh, it ha- it has uh, you can go to chapter introductions, interpretive version, authorized version, and Japanese version. So uh, the one you want probably uh, is the authorized version. Authorized version will get you to uh, PDFs of the Nishijima and Cross version, the version translated by Gudo Wafu Nishijima and his student Chodo Mike Cross, and that's the version I'm usually reading out of. I think the interpretive version, I'll click on it right here, yes, the interpretive version is, I believe, the... not sure what the interpretive version is. I think that is uh, something that Mike Lutchford himself uh, put together based on an earlier version that uh, Nishijima Roshi was working on. Uh, before he started working with Mike Cross, I'm not sure what the story is there. Maybe it says when you're, uh, when you're on the website. But anyway, uh, the, uh, Nishijima Cross version is there and then the interpretive version is there. You can also go to uh, Shasta Abbey's website and look up the Hubert Neerman version. That's for free online. You'll have to go poke around Google for yourself to find that. And if you want to spend money, uh, there is the version translated by kazuaki tanahashi et al uh, uh, with a bunch of people from the san francisco zen center that one is not available for free but you can purchase it from uh, you you're probably not going to find it at a bookstore. You'll probably have to find it on, a, on an online uh, bookseller, but uh, that one is out there as well. So if you want to find a more standard version of this, then uh, of the essay that we're talking about, that would be also in the Hubert Nieman version and the Tanahashi at all version. Those are out there, and there it's also in the um, uh, version by Nishiyama and Stevens. But you'll never find that. Um, you might find it, but it's it's long out of print and very difficult to find. So what I want want to do now is I want to read to you the introduction that uh, Nishijima Roshi wrote. So on every chapter of Shobo Genzo that he put out with uh, Mike Cross, he wrote a short introduction, usually just a paragraph, uh, in which he kind of sets out what he thinks these essays are about and I find them very useful even though they're quite short. So, let me read to you what Nishijima Roshi has to say about Komyo. So here's what he says, Komyo means luminosity, light, or brightness. Such light has been revered in Buddhism since ancient times and has both a physical and a mental or spiritual side. Generally speaking, idealistic people believe in spiritual light, whereas materialistic people only believe in physical light. But according to Buddhist theory, brightness has both a physical side and a mental side. In this chapter, Master Dogen explained this brightness. He explained that the universe is our own brightness, that the universe is just brightness, that our behavior in the universe is brightness, and that there is nothing other than brightness. So, that's Nishijima Roshi's introduction, and there's a lot in there, uh, that there is nothing other than brightness. That's that's really kind of a bold claim that he's saying that brightness is all there is that this ko that this light that dogen is talking about in this chapter is all there is that the entire universe is brightness. So, that's a big claim, and let's see what we can make of that. Uh, I don't know uh, what we're going to get to, and probably in the time I've allotted myself for this podcast, which I expect it'll be, you know, more or less an hour long, I don't know if we're going to get the answer, but let's see where we can get to with it. Now, let me read to you the opening of it as Nishijima and Cross give it to you, rather than the version that I gave to you uh, in the last episode of the podcast. This is a more standard translation. Actually, my translation is not too crazy. Some of the translations I put out in and don't be a jerk. I think they're fairly faithful to the original, but I was mentioning beer and Doritos and things like that. In this version, I decided to stick pretty close, but what I'm going to read to you now is even closer to what it says in the original Japanese, so here we go. Great Master Chosa Shoken of Conan in the Great Kingdom of Sung, informal preaching in the Dharma Hall, preaches to the assembly, and the Great Kingdom of Sung means China. The whole universe in 10 directions is the eye of a shramana. Shramana is a monk. The whole universe in 10 directions is the everyday speech of a shramana. The whole universe in 10 directions is the whole body of a shramana. The whole universe in 10 directions is the brightness of the self. The whole universe in 10 directions exists within the brightness of the self. In the whole universe, in ten directions, there is no one who is not the self. Now, I changed Nishijima and Cross's uh, translation there, because I don't like the way they translated it. They say, in the whole universe in ten directions, there is no one who is not themselves. Technically speaking, because Japanese has no true plurals, you could say there is no one who is not themselves. But what it really says in there is there is no one who is not jiko. And jiko, in this sense, technically means self. And, like I say, there's no true plurals, so you could read that as themselves. But I don't think that's what great master Chosa Shoken was getting at. He was getting at something much bigger. And when Dogen uses the word Jiko, and when he's quoting other masters of the past who use the word Jiko, they're talking about a much bigger concept. And it's a concept quite similar to, uh, so see, this is kind of... um. A little dangerous to say, but it's a similar concept to the Hindu concept of Brahman, the great self, the self which is the self of the entire universe. Now, you may be familiar with the Buddhist teachings of non-self which says there is no self and Buddhism famously repudiates that teaching and says there is well uh, let's see Buddhism famously says there is no self they don't repudiate non-self sorry I was getting ahead of myself ahead of myself ooh that's tricky anyway when Buddhism says there is no self they're talking about that the individual personal self the 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 feeling that I am an individual separate forever from everything and everyone in the universe that's a mistake but they do come around to saying that there is a kind of great self that is the self of the entire universe. And that's a concept within Mahayana Buddhism that is arguably absent within early Buddhism, although some would argue that it's there, but now we're getting into thick weeds of stuff here that that perhaps maybe we ought to stay out of. But you know what? I don't want to stay out of that because I, I've been reading something lately uh, that uh, that brings up an interesting point about this idea of no self and how it kind of hmm, later on in Buddhism turns on turns into an idea of great self that Dogen uses very often in his writings when he talks about this this concept of jiko the self and jiko isn't a special Buddhist word. It's, uh, it's a common Japanese word that just means self. But when Dogen uses it, it means uh, something greater. He, the, the context in which he uses Jiko, he tends to reserve the use of the word Jiko for something, a uh, very great and grand. And I have been recently reading, it's been taking me a long time to get through this book, but I've been recently reading a book by, and I'm going to butcher uh, his last name, Brooke A. Zipporin. I've decided that that's how I'm going to pronounce his last name until I meet him one day, if I ever do, and ask him how to pronounce his last name, Z-I-P-O-R. Ryn, And the book is called Emptiness and Omnipresence, An Essential Introduction to Tiantai Buddhism. Uh, Tiantai Buddhism is a type of Buddhism which is called Tendai Buddhism in Japanese. And it's the type of Buddhism that Dogen studied before he became a convert to Zen. So, Dogen was very steeped in the teachings of Tendai Buddhism and then uh, having some dissatisfaction with where the Tendai practice was leading him, he kind of jumped ship and became a Zen Buddhist. But he never went out and repudiated Tendai Buddhism. He never kind of Came out and you know screaming and saying Tendai Buddhism is false and Zen Buddhism is the only true way or anything like that. And you can see concepts from Tendai Buddhism appearing all over his written work. So I I think it's valuable to know what some of these concept in Tendai concepts of Tendai Buddhism are, and that's why I bought this book. And I'm going to read to you a rather longish bit from uh, Brook A. Zipporin's Zipporin's book, and I hope he doesn't mind me reading this long excerpt and doesn't uh, come after me for reading it, so forgive me, Brook A. Zipporin, if I'm reading too much out of your book. But I think this is really interesting because he explains how we got from the concept of non-self to this concept of great self uh, by talking about a a passage in the Nirvana Sutra that I was not aware of. So, let me just read to you what uh, Professor Zipporan says about it, okay? So, here we go. Uh, The Nirvana Sutra. In the Nirvana Sutra, the Buddha tells a story meant to answer this question about how we got there. Uh, I will paraphrase it here and embellish it a little to make the point more clear. Once upon a time, there was a kingdom whose people were beset by all sorts of illnesses. The king hired a famous physician to develop a health care program for his people. Unfortunately, so the story goes, this doctor was really nothing more than a mercenary quack. No matter what sort of problem anyone had, he would prescribe the same remedy, a highly addictive compound made from milk, the milk medicine. Headache? Milk medicine. Cancer? Milk medicine. Broke your leg? Milk medicine. Going blind? Milk medicine. We can imagine that this milk medicine was at once an opiate, a placebo, and a snake oil phony panacea. Because it was intoxicating, it seemed to help, but actually it only made things worse. Because it was addictive, the demand for it grew and grew. People really did feel worse if they didn't get their milk medicine. This went on for years, and the king gradually started to notice that the health of his people was actually getting worse. Well, one day, a new doctor came to town, representing the Buddha, of course. He told the king that the old doctor was a quack. The king fired the old doctor and hired the new one. The first principle of my new health program, said the new doctor, is that the milk medicine is now illegal. The milk medicine is poison. It is what is ruining everyone's health. Thenceforth, the milk medicine was outlawed, vilified, and no longer available. The people gradually started to overcome their addiction to it, although this was a painful process. Then the new doctor began to give them specific cures for their specific ailments, a certain herb for your headache, another kind of treatment for your cancer, a cast and bed rest for your broken legs, some surgery for your blindness. Each treatment was different because each ailment was different. But they had one thing in common, no milk medicine, avoid the milk medicine at all costs. The health of the populace was now in good shape, but one day the king himself became sick. An odd illness, a severe illness, came upon him. He called for his physician. The doctor examined him and finally made his prescription. There is only one cure for this disease, he said milk medicine. The king was shocked. Didn't you say this was poison, the one thing to always be avoided, the worst possible treatment for every disease? The doctor replied, the milk medicine is poison when it is applied indiscriminately as a panacea. It is poison if it is given constantly, creating an addiction. It is poison if it becomes a crutch that masks the true nature of the illness and therefore prevents any fundamental cure. But there is indeed an appropriate use for the milk medicine, if and only if the system has been thoroughly cleansed of the accumulated effects of its long-term overuse. The application of this medicine at the right time as part of a comprehensive health program that also involves long abstention from it is sometimes the only cure. Right now, it is only milk medicine that can cure you. The milk medicine in this story symbolizes the teaching of permanence, of selfhood, of pre-existent and omnipresent bliss, the Buddha nature teaching. The bad doctor represents the teachers of soul, of God, of Brahman, of the eternal and omnipresent, as a panacea, as a crutch, as an addictive drug used to cover over every particular ailment. Used this way, this teaching of true selfhood is poison. Buddhism prohibits this teaching as the good doctor prohibits the use of milk medicine for a time. The system must be cleared, individual ailments understood and separately addressed, the addiction to the thought of the eternal as a covering over of all the ills of the mind and the world must be broken through. But in the end, there is a time when this medicine is appropriate. A good doctor is a doctor who does not give the same medicine for all diseases, but who sees what is necessary for each case. This is, of course, the principle of the raft again. And he's been talking about the, the uh, a raft that you use to cross a river, but then you just get rid of the raft after you've crossed the river the idea of upaya, or skillful means, uh, which we'll discuss in the next chapter. Okay, we won't do that. As part of the overall skillful practice of medicine, the milk medicine is indispensable. When is the right time for it? When it it has been long excluded, when our system has been cleansed of it. When is the right time for the teaching of selfhood, of permanence? When the teaching of non-self and impermanence have been thoroughly established. Selfhood and permanence are only true, only effective, on the premise that we have already seen and accepted that all things are without self, that all things are empty. Selfhood is only true in conjunction with the teaching of non-self and emptiness. The Nirvana Sutra compares them to two birds that must always stay together, whether perched or flying. We may say that they are two wings of the same bird. In isolation, either teaching is insufficient. So, that's how we got from the teaching of no self to the teaching of everything is self. And that's why this uh, poem here says, in the whole universe, there is no one who is not the self. So, Let me talk a little bit about this concept of light because I think that's also pretty fascinating. Uh, The the idea of light appears in a lot of religions and I think most of us who are English speakers are probably more or less familiar with, uh, with Christianity. I was not raised Christian, really. I was sort of nominally Protestant. I say this all the time and people who've listened to me a lot have probably heard me say this too much, but if you haven't, then here goes. I was raised in a household which was sort of some kind of Protestant because we had a a Bible in the house, uh, which I have now inherited since both of my parents have passed on. It, It sort of passed to me, but I don't remember anybody really reading that Bible. You know, we had a family Bible because we were you know, Christians, but uh, but we weren't Christians in the sense of ever really studying that Bible or going to church or doing anything about it. So, this means I was kind of vaguely familiar with Christian stuff, but I never really studied it. So, you know, we've all, we probably, most of you are probably like me, you've heard the Christian stuff, but you don't really know it you know, deep down. So, in the Christian Bible, we do have a lot of stuff about light, and I looked up some of it, and and it's kind of interesting. It seems like a lot of it comes in the Gospel of John, uh, which is the most mystical of the four Gospels in the New Testament. So, here's something from John uh, 1, 5 through 9, if you want to go look it up. Uh, here, Here we go. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. That's uh, that's one little place. And then here is John uh, eight twelve. Uh, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, this, this concept of light uh, comes up a lot uh, in, in, in these religions. And another place where I found it which was interesting is in uh, the teachings of Nisargadatta Maharaj, and I pulled up some quotes but they're they're quite long so I'm going to have to kind of edit them on the fly. But what he does a lot is his metaphor is, he talks about consciousness in the same way that Buddhists often talk about mind, and he talks about mind in the same way that Buddhists often talk about consciousness. So, he kind of reverses those two concepts. Um, So, in, in Buddhism, uh, we usually think of consciousness as individual consciousness and mind as like the big, the the mind is kind of, means the same thing in Buddhism as self. It's like the big overall thing. And in the Advaita tradition, they sort of reverse that. They sort of use consciousness to mean the big overall self and then mind to, to be, to use, they use the word mind to mean the individual uh, mind, the individual self. So, you know, you just got to remember that and try, try to to keep that straight. So, uh, one of the one of the ways that Nisargadatta Maharaj, uh, one of the metaphors is, metaphors that he uses, is he talks about it. It's it consciousness is like um, the light from a projector that's uh, showing a movie. Uh, so he uses a, a really modern metaphor. So the consciousness is the light and all of what we are experiencing in our lives the particulars of our life is is the film that sort of interrupts the light and and so we get fascinated by the shapes and things that that are shown on the screen but those are just sort of the interruptions in the light the real source of everything is is that light Um, let me see if i can find one of the shorter quotes for you. Hang on here. All right, I found a whole bunch of quotes, but uh, I'm not going to try to give them all to you. As some of you who've listened to me know, I'm a big fan of Nisargadatta Maharaj, and the quotes I'm going to give you all come from his sort of major work called I Am That, which I have as a, I found it online as a Word document, so I don't know what chapters these are from because the Word document doesn't divide it up into chapters, so sorry if you might have trouble finding these for yourself. But here you go, here's some quotes where he talks about the light, and not all of these use that, that uh, simile or metaphor about the, the cinema show, but here we go. Uh, the, questioner, the questioner asks, what is the knower's view? And Maharaj answers, there is only light, and the light is all. Everything else is but a picture made of light. The picture is in the light, and the light is in the picture. Life and death, self and not-self. Abandon all these ideas. They are of no use to you. And in another chapter, he says, How can I see the world as God? This is a questioner asking him something. What does it mean to see the world as God? And Maharaj answers, it is like entering a dark room. You see nothing. You may touch but you do not see, no colors, no outlines. The window opens and the room is flooded with light, colors and shapes come into being. The window is the giver of light but not the source of it. The sun is the source. Similarly, matter is like the dark room, consciousness the window, flooding matter with sensations and perceptions, and the supreme is the sun, the source both of matter and of light. The window may be closed or open, the sun shines all the time, it makes all the difference to the room, but none to the sun. Yet all this is secondary to the tiny little thing which is the I am, your sense of being, the sense of being, of the sense of I I am. Without the I am, there is nothing. All knowledge is about the I am. False ideas about this I am lead to bondage. Right knowledge leads to freedom and happiness." And that's the, the philosophy that they go by, is that, uh, that a kind of understanding of what's going on is the key to freedom. Uh, and this is where I get a little bit iffy about the Advaita tradition because i think it i think it takes more than just knowing what's going on to to Get free of it. I think you have to. I think you have to be established in a meditative practice. I think this is where zazen comes in. Because you could you could read Shobogenzo. I think I, I read somewhere. I wish I could uh, remember who said this, but somebody said, "Oh, Shobogenzo is a great book." I think maybe Alan Watts said this. He was repeating something he heard from somebody else. I, I believe this is where this comes from, and that Shobogenzo was a great book because it tells you everything you need to know, and. And it really kind of does, if you understand how to interpret Shobogenzo, I don't think I, you could find uh, another book that just lays everything out for you any better than Shobogenzo. I think you could probably find other books that lay it out for you as well as Shobogenzo does. I don't think Dogen was the only person who ever got it as well as Dogen did. In fact, I think Nisargadatta Maharaj may be another person who understood the great whatever it is to understand as well as, as Dogen understood it, and, and, and may also be another really good source. This is just my personal opinion. And uh, my teacher Nishijima Roshi uh, was also very fond of Nagarjuna and thought that Nagarjuna's writing was was another great source. Myself, I've had a hard time getting into Nagarjuna, so you know that there you go. But anyway, you can get it, you can read it intellectually, and still not get it. you know in your bones and i think what you need for that is a practice and and even nisargadatta will tell you 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 need a, a kind of a practice and his practice is this concentrating he doesn't really say concentrating in the sense of like putting your full like ah concentrating on it but he's he's talking about establish yourself within this i am understand the meaning of the feeling that you exist. Uh, that's his way of doing it, and our way of doing it in the Zen tradition is practicing zazen. Anyway, let's let's read one more. I got one more quote from Nisargadatta Maharaj. A questioner asks him, how does one get established in the higher state, the state of pure witnessing? And Nisargadatta answers that question, and here's his answer. Consciousness does not shine by itself. It shines by a light beyond it. Having seen the dreamlike quality of consciousness, look for the light in which it appears, which gives it being. There is the content of consciousness as well as the awareness of it. So, there's some examples of that and there are also examples of Dogen talking about the light and um, one of my favorites is in his essay, One Bright Pearl. So, if you've read my book, The Other Side of Nothing, you may be familiar with One Bright Pearl. I'm going to read you because it's kind of short. I put this in in my book, uh, The Other Side of Nothing. Uh, this is my first teacher's teacher's version of the Koan, the other side, uh, the, the, uh, the Koan, One Bright Pearl. And here's his version. There's a story about one of Zen Master Seppo's disciples who was a, whose father was a fisherman in the Yangtze River, and this young man was his help. Every day they caught a huge carp or something in the big river. One night the moon was bright, so they set up night fishing, but the father slipped and went into the water. Maybe a big fish caught the hook and pulled him down. So, he was drowning from the slippery river bank. The son tried to save him and threw out his bamboo poles and fishing tackles trying to save his father, until he himself was slipping. So finally, he had to let the poles go. His father sank in the moonlight. The son's mind was kind of screwed up at that moment, and he ran to the monastery of Seppo Snow Peak, Seppo Gisan, a very famous Rinzai teacher. After years of practice with Seppo, the disciple, whose name was Gensha, told Seppo, I'm no good, I must go away from this place. So he began to climb the mountain, until in the dark he kicked a sharp rock. When he held onto his toes, they felt warm and yucky, they were bleeding, is what he wants to say. Oh no, it hurts. And he said to himself, this body and mind do not exist, I know, but where is this pain coming from? He sat there thinking, wait a minute, what did I say? So he started to climb back down the path, back to Master Snow Peak. I was wrong, so I came back. When the Master asked him why he had returned, he answered, Bodhidharma hasn't come to China. The second patriarch hasn't gone to India. This was a strange statement since Bodhidharma came to China, everyone knew that, and Huéko, Bodhidharma's student, had gone to India. What he meant was that Bodhidharma didn't need to come to China and Huikou didn't need to go to India. Seppo recognized something underneath this statement, so Gensha stayed there in Kosei, west of the Yangtze, and taught many people, maintaining that this entire universe is nothing but a bundle of light. So, usually when that story is told, uh, it ends with, this universe is nothing but one bright pearl. But Coben says, uh, this universe is nothing but a bundle of light. And, and I think that's what one bright pearl means. One bright pearl is just a kind of way of saying a bundle of light. It the, is nothing but light. It's saying the same thing. And let me just share with you one more passage in which Dogen also uses this metaphor of light. Uh, this is in a an essay called Tsuki, which means the moon, and you can find this in volume three of Shobo Genzo. And I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. Sorry, I didn't. If you want to find Komyo in the original, uh, in the Nishijima cross version of Shobo Genzo, you'll look in volume two of Shobo Genzo. So, uh, this, uh, th- this comes from volume three but Komio, the light sorry that's ziggy barking that we've been talking about uh, shows up in volume two uh, so in volume three in tsuki we can find this poem here we go zen master banzan hoshaku says mind moon alone and round light swallows myriad phenomena light does not illuminate objects neither do objects exist light and objects both vanish this is what and dogan's one paragraph i'm going to read one paragraph of his uh, he goes on for for a while about this but here's the first paragraph of his explanation of this and we'll see uh, where we go with this but here we go what has now been expressed is that the buddhist patriarchs and the buddha's disciples always have the state of mind moon because we see the moon as the mind, and it is not the mind unless it is the moon, and there is no moon which is not the mind. Alone and round means lacking nothing. That which is beyond two and three is called myriad phenomena. Myriad phenomena, being moonlight itself, are beyond myriad phenomena. Therefore, light swallows myriad phenomena. Myriad phenomena have naturally swallowed moonlight, and so he expresses light swallowing light as light swallows myriad phenomena. It may be, for another example, that the moon swallows the moon, or that light swallows the moon. This being so, he says, light does not illuminate objects. Neither do objects exist. Because Buddhas have got the state like this, when people must be saved through the body of a Buddha, they manifest at once the body of a Buddha and preach for them the Dharma. And there's a footnote that says that this is a... uh, a, from the Lotus Sutra. And this is just a quote from the Lotus Sutra that that says the Buddha, when, when the Buddha is needed, he appears as whatever the person in need needs the Buddha to be. And we go on. When people must be saved through a common physical body, they manifest at once a common physical body and preach for them the Dharma. There is no such instance which is not the turning of the Dharma wheel in the moon. Even though the illumination of phenomena by yin energy and yang energy is produced by the fire pearl and water pearl – fire pearl and water pearl are the the sun and the the moon, the fire pearl is the sun, the water pearl is the moon – at the same time, it is just the direct manifestation of reality. This mind is the moon itself, and this moon is naturally the mind. The Buddhist patriarchs and the Buddhist disciples master the principle of mind and master the facts of mind like this. So, are you confused by that? I hope so. Dogen is very poetic, and it's sometimes hard to untangle what he means. Sometimes when I read a passage like that, I think the best thing to do is is not to try too hard to understand it, like to, to kind of go, oh, this means that, and try to kind of get a, a kind of intellectual grip on it, or to make it mean something in a more standard way from what he's saying. And I, instead, of doing that, I just like to let the poetry kind of wash over me and just see, you know, see it for what it is and try to kind of get the feeling of what Dogen is trying to put forth. And, and I get a, I get a, a nice feeling from that. Uh, but, you know, here again, he's using that, that concept of light. And as I was kind of walking Ziggy, who you just heard bark a couple of minutes ago, and getting ready to start recording this podcast I was kind of thinking about what is light and why do all these people use light as as the metaphor for you know the big something you know the big something that is the universe itself that is, the 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 basis of everything you know in the bible you know the 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 i don't know it's not the first words in genesis but very early on in genesis god says let there be light and that's the creation of the universe it's is light becomes the the creation of the the whole universe you know why is light so important well for human beings i mean you could you could kind of look at it in this kind of almost materialistic way and say for human beings we see by the virtue of light you know and and, and sight is very important Important to us, uh, for for Ziggy the dog, they say that uh, sound is more important to to dogs than light, sound and scent. So maybe, you know, if if uh, dogs were to write their own version of the Bible, it'd be like, "Let there be smells." You know, maybe they would look at it that way, and that would be you know, how they would put things, but for us humans, we're mostly, seem to be guided by the sense of sight, you know, and I don't know what it is like for blind people. And then you're listening to this podcast, and, and sound is also very important, but I don't want to go into a digression about that. But let's talk about light. Light is really important, and, and what is light? I mean, light is the manifestation of, of energy. This The sun is bright and gives off light because there's a tremendous amount of energy being produced you know up there 93 million miles away in space there's this huge sort of nuclear furnace burning and that nuclear furnace is the source of the immediate source of all life on earth Every, everything that lives on earth owes its life to the fact that there's this big nuclear furnace 93 million miles away the the energy that we're converting into everything that we do uh, my talking right now is is due to the fact of of sunlight burning out there in a, in a roundabout way, and the the sunlight uh, its source is the the life and death of stars that existed millions of years before that blew up you know and and created the heavy elements and all that you know you have to watch Cosmos with Carl Sagan to learn all the you know the ins and outs of how that works, but that light is is tremendously important and um, it, we contrast that light with with darkness and we sort of you know we always kind of uh, think of darkness as negative and and light as as positive but they're they're sort of Intertwined with each other, uh, I, so I don't know. Maybe the very the very fact of being alive, the the the, the thinking that I'm doing, the 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 experiencing that the, the the even the act of being able to see and perceive light is ultimately because of light in a way. You know in the the physical act of being able to perceive light is because of light because light provides energy that makes my brain work and makes thoughts possible and makes the action of of my eyes possible then i can see the light of the sun and perceive the light of the sun and then i can process it and i can talk to you about it so light is a hugely important thing and what these guys are saying, what Dogen is saying and what the ancient masters before him are saying, Gensha and Seppo and all these people and uh, Chosa, Shouken and, and the people he's quoting, they're even giving a bigger importance to light. They're saying that, that what this whole universe is, is a manifestation of of this kind of primordial light, this kind of divine light, that it's kind of, it is light itself. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, in the allotted time I've given myself to talk to you about it, there's no way I'm going to unravel the mystery of of this, except to say that it gives me a feeling, it gives me a sense of something, and it it does, the experiences I've had myself around meditation, some of the deeper experiences, some of the so-called, you know, Kensho or whatever you wanna call them, those kind of special experiences one has when doing a practice like this. There was an aspect there which makes me which when I reflect upon it, I can go, okay, I can see why you would choose light as a metaphor for talking about that kind of experience, for talking about the depths of what that experience makes one think that this, that the, the universe is based on. And that maybe when we think of ourselves as being these solid beings who you know have a life of you know whatever however many years my dad got 81 years on this earth he just passed away recently uh you know so we have about that long that we can live and then we die and we're solid things and we want to get Stuff you know. Yesterday I went record shopping and came home. Yesterday was a very successful day of record shopping, if you want to look at it that way, or very unsuccessful, if you want to look at it the way I tend to look at it, which is, oh God, I got an addiction to record shopping because I came home with like a stack of records. You know, we want to go out and get our stuff. You know, what my my uh, my addiction is records and books. Uh, your addiction might be something else. You know, maybe it's something less healthy like drugs or or or, or you know whatever. It is. You know, or maybe it's something more healthy like, uh, uh, I don't know, exercise or, or uh, you know, bright sunshine. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But, you know, we've all got these things we want and we, we pursue the stuff that we want and we avoid the stuff that we don't want. And we spend our whole lives doing that and we're trying to protect ourselves and we're doing all this and, and we have these lives that we think are tawdry and painful and, and we're stressed and we have all this stuff. But what if underneath of all that, What if it's all just light? You know? That's, that I think is a kind of interesting and and sort of hopeful message. Now, I did say I got one question uh, related to this podcast, and I just had a look at it, and I think the question is a little bit personal, so I don't want to read the question just as it came to me, but I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. The questioner says that when he, hear, when he heard this podcast and the the, the komyo, he said it, it kind of scares him, uh, like his world might blow up or something, or, or he'd kind of lose his grip on on something and and it makes him want to kind of go back to the illusion and enjoy the illusion that that life gives him and enjoy you know his uh, his enjoy a meal in peace and things like that and I, I can understand that because that's the I I, I said I, I find the message of comio kind of hopeful but on the other hand uh, I just told you about going record shopping yesterday and and buying a, a bunch of records and, and things there's a lot to like about life. You know, life the way it is. And when I think about that, I think, you know, life can be good. There, there, there are lots of things to like about life. Yesterday was, was pretty good for me. You know, I, I, had, a, I had a good time. I, went, I found this uh, Indian restaurant in, in Pomona uh, that was, that was uh, terrific. In fact, it was so terrific that I stopped the recording and ran back because I couldn't remember the name of it. And I wanted to tell you exactly the name of it in case anybody listening lives in the area of Pomona, California. It's called Curryland. I never knew it existed. One, uh, 1285 uh, STE. I don't know. That's State Route. Yeah, South Gary Street. Oh, I don't know what the STE E means but it's south gary avenue in pomona california called Curryland. it's in the i'm not getting paid for them or anything they're not a sponsor of me or anything like that but uh, they're just in this little strip mall in this kind of rather rundown part of pomona and we just picked it because it was close by and we were hungry me and my friend were driving around and uh and it turned out to be the greatest, you know, I, I rarely had Indian food that good. And so it was a great day. And then we went to this record store that I liked, and I ended up finding a bunch of stuff that I, that I enjoyed, and I, and I bought a, way too many records. And, you know, record collecting is, is a dangerous hobby, because records are like 5 or $10 each, you know, and you can just buy a bunch of them and, and, uh, and not even break your, your wallet with that hobby and um and so you know i had a great day and i think about if the the whole universe is a bundle of light well i'm not going to be able to eat indian food and 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 collect records and i'm not going to be able to play with ziggy my dog or 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 my wife you know I, I love my wife and i have a have this nice house that we got together and you know all this other stuff so so i would miss all that um but I think that what we're getting at, in fact, I know that what we're getting at when Dogen talks about that, it's not all of that, when we're talking about the light, the divine light, or the, you know, the, the bliss of enlightenment, it contains all of that. It's not the absence of it. It's not that you. It, it, it's, it sounds like you know this kind of program of austerity where you're just going to throw everything away. But somehow everything that you think is this sort of individual stuff that you've got to you know scramble for and and enjoy as a, as an individual, it, it's all of that uh, becomes. Your own. It, it, it's not that you're giving anything up, and I think that's what we're going for when we're talking about the light. So, there you go. I've I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface, and all I did, as far as Comio is concerned, is talk about the the poem at the beginning. So, I hope that this sparks some conversation and i'm hoping that for the next episode of this podcast i'll get some questions from you folks so you can read my paraphrase of Comio on my patreon page or you can go to HardcoreZen.info and you can see it there and so look at it and tell me is what about it is there anything there must be something in there that sparks a question you know there must be some sort of questions people have about this stuff or about anything i said during this podcast or anything i've said in my videos or anything just send me some questions and i'll try to answer them send them to bw at hardcore zen.info that's bw at hardcore zen.info or if you're a patreon supporter you can send them through the patreon message system that's perfectly good too um So there you go. And I'll say it again. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, this podcast is supported by your donations. And if you want to donate, you can go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my Patreon and my PayPal accounts. Those are my main and my only ways of making a living most of the time. Uh, So I appreciate your support. But as I said at the beginning of the podcast, and as I always say, This is offered for free, so you don't got to donate if you don't want to donate. All right, so have a good time all the time, and we will see you next time. Bye for now.